Blog Talk Radio. From Light in the Balance, the nonprofit organization committed to advocating on behalf of behaviorally challenging kids and their caregivers, this is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving at Home. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs live each Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help your challenging child and implement the collaborative problem-solving approach at home. If you have a question or comment, call 347-994-2981. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's talk about your challenging child and what we can do to help you make things better. Hi there, and welcome to today's program. I'm delighted to have you listening in. Um, got a bunch of email to catch up on today. We'll see if we get any callers today. We never know about that. Um, but i um, glad that uh, you were able to join in. Um, as always, these are your 45 minutes. Um, that's why Lives in the Balance sponsors uh, these programs, to give you the support and the help and the guidance that you might need to understand your behaviorally challenging child, uh, implement the collaborative problem-solving approach. Um, so that's what we're here for. Cool, eh? So if you're trying to do Plan B at home and it's not going so well, or quite frankly, even if it is going well, we do want to hear about it. If you're having trouble with any aspect of doing Plan B, we want to hear about it. Uh, if you're running into trouble getting the folks at school to use collaborative problem solving, we want to hear from you. Uh, if you're having difficulty getting your co-parent or the grandparents or the hockey coaches or the soccer coaches or the football coaches or the whatever coaches to understand your kid, um, treat your child in a way that is compassionate and effective and productive, uh, this is your opportunity to call in, comment, ask questions, get the support you need, or just listen to what's going on with others who are using the collaborative problem-solving approach. If you do want to call in, that number again is 347-994-2981. And as always, if you're not the calling in type, you can always send me a question electronically through the contact form on the Lives in the Balance website. That's www.livesinthebalance.org. Have you been on the Lives in the Balance website lately? A lot of cool stuff on there. You may already know about care packages. That's you sending information about collaborative problem solving anonymously to people who you think need to know about collaborative problem solving. That could be a school principal or an assistant principal, a mayor, a governor, a superintendent, a soccer coach, but it's anonymous, so they'll get the information from Lives in the Balance with a very nice letter from me telling them that someone who cares thought that they might benefit from the enclosed information, but not telling them who that someone is. Uh, have you signed the Bill of Rights for Challenging Kids yet? We are collecting signatures fast and furious and um, have quite a few already gathered. We, I think, are about a tenth of the way to 
our goal of 5,000 signatures. I think, actually, from what I heard yesterday, we're further along than that. If you haven't signed the Bill of Rights yet, uh, you can do that on the Lives in the Balance website. Have you told your story yet? That's on the Lives in the Balance website, too. We want to hear from you. There's a lot of wonderful stories out there. There's a lot of painful stories out there. There's a lot of kids who are still not being treated the way challenging kids ought to be treated or understood in the way challenging kids ought to be understood. Uh, Life in the Balance wants to hear from you in one way or another. Let's get the dialogue going. Um, We're ready for you. Be in touch. Um, Shall we start with some email? Let's. Here's one. Our seven-year-old daughter has really been responding well to the CPS approach as it relates to issues at home. A problem that we have been struggling with is applying what she can verbalize and act on at home to the real world or unstructured play on the playground or in the neighborhood with her peers. When things don't go her way or if she is challenged with her friends, she loses it, screaming at her friends, help. Well, happy to help. It's a tough one, though. See, at home, she's got you. and It sounds like if the CPS approach is going well at home, it sounds like you've got the right lenses on. I'm not sure that her friends do. So at home, you've got the two-to-tango thing going. You've got it because you've got the right lenses on and you're ready to do plan B. I know what some people are thinking. Some people are thinking, see, at home they've got this kid in a plan B bubble, in the real world, she still can't deal. Hmm? I guess you could think that if you want to. I'm not thinking that. I'm thinking that there's something about what's going on on the playground or in the neighborhood with her peers that uh, is still exceeding the skills she has to respond adaptively. And that's why she's still losing it and screaming at her friends. But I don't know if it's going to be possible without involving the dance partners to help things go better with the friends, with your daughter as the only one participating in making things better. In other words, your daughter may be the most vulnerable part of the equation. I don't know if most of the changes, especially early on, are going to be channeled through her with her friends acting the way they always have. Now, I don't, I don't have enough detail here, um, but I don't know if Plan B done outside of the peers is going to help your daughter manage things that are hard for her when she's with her peers. I don't know. That's asking a lot of Plan B. That's asking a lot of your daughter. I wonder what things would look like if... And once again, lacking details here, I don't know if I'm on the right track or not, but I wonder what life would be like if we did plan B between her and her peers, or at least, well, so that we could get a much clearer understanding of your daughter's concern or perspective about what's going on on the playground. I'm just trying to read between the lines here. The only information I have about the unsolved problems that are setting in motion, her losing it and screaming at her friends, is if things don't go her way or if she's challenged with her friends. But I must say, I don't think I understand that well enough to start working on it yet. 
I don't understand what your daughter's concerns are, what her perspective is on things, nor the perspective of her friends, and therefore I'm not exactly sure how any solution arrived at through Plan B outside the context of those situations and without involving the players and getting enough details from your daughter about what's going on, I don't know if we can solve that problem. I feel like we're lacking some important detail. Um, so, number one, I'm delighted that things are going on at home, that collaborative problem solving is working well for you at home. That You know, that takes courage all by itself. Um, I'm delighted that you have the right lenses on. I'm delighted that you're solving problems at home through collaborative problem solving. I wonder if there are some things that we can tune up to help things go better in the, on these specific unsolved problems that are causing her difficulty with her peers. I sure would like to know what it in what specific conditions things are not going her way that causes her trouble and these specific unsolved problems that you're describing in very general terms when you're saying she's challenged with her friends. We would need those specifics to be able to help her well. And, of course, the hovering question is, can we really help her well without her peers being part of the process? By the way, the title of this email was From Home to the Real World. You solve problems in the real world of home in the same way that you solve problems in the real world on the playground by figuring out in very specific terms what the unsolved problems are, by engaging the different dance partners in the process so that we can understand what their concerns are and help them collaborate on solutions that are realistic for both of them and mutually satisfactory for both of them. I hope that helps. Here's another email. Um, my grandson will not respond to directions to do a task at school or at home the first time. He will verify that he's heard and has understood the request, but he has his own agenda of things he'd like to be to do before responding. Question, is it reasonable to expect him to respond to a direction the first time? Or is that plan A? Well, thank you for emailing, and um, thank you for taking the time to... Uh, Learn about collaborative problem solving. That's fantastic. Now the, uh, well, I've got an email here before I respond to that. Uh, once the emailer is saying, once there is more info provided, the use of the CPS model is a wonderful way and the wrong one to be prepared for the real world, to problem solve, be flexible, deal with frustration. Thank you, emailer. Back to uh, this other email. Um, you know, I don't know if it's realistic, uh, to expect your grandson to respond immediately to the first to, to a request the first time. I'd want to hear about that from him. I'd want to hear about his concern or perspective on that. Uh, what does he think is getting his way? I'm, I'm glad that he's verifying that he's heard and has understood the request. That's good to know that if, it, if, it's, if that's accurate that clears up some, some things that could be getting in his way. But it doesn't clarify 
what is getting in his way. So I don't know if it's reasonable to expect him to respond to directions the first time. Um, you know, the fact that he's heard it and has understood it um, doesn't mean that he's processed rapidly enough to have him responding to it before we repeat the direction. That I don't know. And I don't know, is it he who said he's got his own agenda of things he'd like to do be, be, before responding? I don't know. Maybe you're putting what a kid said in adult terms, but I'm not sure. Um, maybe he said that. I, I don't know what's getting in his way. I don't know what he'd say, so I don't know what's reasonable. Um it's fine to have the expectation, though, that a child respond to a direction the first time. That's a fine expectation. That's not plan A. That's having an expectation. Plan A is a one of three responses to unmet expectations. So you're not doing plan A if your expectation is that a child respond to a request the first time, although I must say... Going back to some of the key themes of the collaborative problem-solving approach, namely kids do all if they can. If he could do well, he would do well. If he could respond to directions the first time, he would be responding to directions the first time. So you're not doing plan A if he if you simply have the expectation that he respond to a request the first time. You're doing plan A if you impose your will. If he doesn't respond to the direction on the first request, now you're probably doing plan A. Like, it would be plan A to say, after the first direction, if you don't get moving, you're going to have to take a time out. That's plan A. If you don't get moving, you're going to lose your we for a week. That would be A. See, plans A, B, and C are three potential responses to unsolved problems, unmet expectations. Having an expectation doesn't mean you're using any plan. You don't really need the plans unless the expectation is being met. So like if, if your grandson was responding to directions to do a task at school or home the first time, if he was doing that well, reliably, uh, you wouldn't even be thinking about plan A, B, or C because it was a met expectation. So it's not an unsolved problem. The plans are for when expectations are not being met. Then you do have an unsolved problem. Then you have three ways of dealing with it. Plan A is when you impose your will, and as many of you know from listening to this program or from reading Lost at School or The Explosive Child, uh, you use Plan A with a kid who's not a Plan A responder, in other words, challenging kids. Uh, well, you've just greatly heightened the likelihood of a kid exhibiting challenging behavior. That's what happens when we place demands on a kid or an adult, quite frankly, that outstrip the skills that they have to respond adaptively to those demands. There's another big downside to Plan A, aside from the fact that it causes challenging behavior and challenging kids. Plan A, simply imposing your will, doesn't give you any information whatsoever about what's getting in a child's way doesn't give you any information at all about why a child might not be responding to directions on the first request. I'd like to hear about that so that we know what we're working on. 
Plan C, of course, is when you're dropping the unsolved problem completely, at least for now, uh, as an act of prioritization, not as an act of giving in. Um, prioritizing meaning you can't work on everything at once. You can only work on a few unsolved problems at a time. If you're working on everything at once, you're not going to solve anything. Everybody's overloaded. Everybody's overwhelmed. That's what Plan C is for. And Plan C would be saying, you know what, we don't really care if he responds to directions the first time. We've got bigger fish to fry. That would be Plan C on the following directions the first time. Now, interesting thing about Plan C, while it does clear the smoke, while it does help you prioritize, Plan C doesn't give you any information about why he's not responding to the direction the first time either. Plan B, the empathy step of Plan B is where you're getting that information. And you may have to drill for it. You may have to probe for it. It may not be right at the tip of the child's tongue. Got to be patient here and persistent. Not not uh, different types of persistence, eh? There's the persistence of getting a kid to do what you want through sheer force of your will. Some That's one form of persistence. Let me talk about the collaborative problem-solving form of persistence. There's the persistence of being bound to determine to get a good handle on what's getting in a kid's way, why he's not eating, meeting expectations, what skills he's lacking, what his concern or perspective is on a particular unsolved problem. There's the persistence in trying to get that problem solved collaboratively rather than the persistence of getting the problem solved unilaterally. That's my kind of persistence. So now you got me curious. What is getting in his way? I don't know. I'll tell you what. Feel free to email and let me know what you find out or call and let me know what you found out. I'd love to hear from you. We have somebody who has called. Let's. We always prioritize callers on this program. Let's bring on our caller from area code 617. You're on the air. How are you today? Hi, Dr. Green. Can you hear me? How are you? I can. Oh, good. Um, I've called in before, and we have gone back uh, and forth a couple of times on email. You might recall uh, my daughter, 13 years old. I who, thought it was um, But keep going. Yeah. Let's refresh everybody's memory. So, um, Haley's had a tough year. Oh, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said her name. Um, she's had a tough year. Um, going from a, a pretty um, uh, highly regarded academic program at a private school where things just didn't work out quite well for her, um, and uh, now back in the public um, school. And although we thought that change might have made things a lot better, they really haven't gotten dramatically better. Um, and um, we've been using collaborative problem solving for uh, a little while now. And my question really speaks to, you know, the point where when do you, I mean, at what point do you draw the line with the abusiveness? So I understand that along the spectrum of bad behaviors, you know, we've got um, crying all the way up to punching, hitting, kicking, and screaming, um, and that 
that's something that's sort of a byproduct of their, their lagging skills. And I understand that, and I, I see it with those lenses. However, in real life, when your 13-year-old is swearing at you and punching you and kicking you, I have to ask, you know, at what point do you say, even if you're not using plan A, I mean, even if it's, you know, uh, you're sitting down and, and suddenly she comes up and she's in a bad mood and she says, why don't you just leave the room and she gives you a, a punch and you don't even know where it came from. I mean, at what point do you say, all right, I need something more than just collaborative problem solving? Well, it's a good question. Um, and I know that you are being helped to implement collaborative problem solving. I, yeah. I don't know, and we're not going to name any names, of course, but I don't know the quality of the help that you're receiving. Mm-hmm. I don't know the... Um, I would have to sort of be a fly on the wall to hear collaborative problem solving being done mm-hmm. to provide you with an opinion about whether the collaborative problem solving that you're doing is um, high-quality collaborative problem solving. So that's something I can't speak to. You can you can do collaborative problem solving for a long time, but if it's not really collaborative problem solving or um, if if it's sort of not really there, then I wouldn't expect collaborative problem solving to accomplish much at all. Mm-hmm. Just like I wouldn't expect any intervention to be effective if um, it's not being implemented well. And, and that, quite frankly, is one of the reasons I'm so um, protective of the model and, maintain, and, and ensuring its fidelity. Because mm-hmm. collaborative problem solving, just like any other approach, doesn't work very well if it's not implemented well. So I can't right. comment on that but so because... So I don't know if the collaborative problem solving that's being done would be expected to get you where you hope to go. I will say this. If it's not getting where you where you hoped it would go, um, it could be because um, the help that you're receiving and doing it isn't necessarily being helpful. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It could be that you all are still struggling with some key aspects of implementing the model. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. that would need to be tuned up a little bit. And right. it could be that um, there's factors related to family dynamics. I, I, once again, I'm I'm speaking about things I don't know enough about yet to really speak about them, so I can only talk generically, not about your family, but about right. families in general. There may be factors associated with family dynamics. Um, there may be uh, things about some of the individuals in your family. could be that you mentioned that your daughter could get in a bad mood really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that's, yeah. if that's not associated with a specific unsolved problem, it's just that you have a very irritable, moody daughter, um, if, if, though, if that moodiness is not associated with specific unsolved problems, that might be something that um, uh, pharmacology might come into play. Mm-hmm. But, so There are so many factors that um, can interfere with plan B going well, that it's a little bit hard for me to say um, why you may not have gotten as far with the model so far as we might have liked. I will say this. 
let's say that it is irritability, would drawing the line, and I've got another important point to make about drawing the line. Let me make that point first. You're drawing the line when you're doing plan B. When, when you're doing plan B and you're getting your concern on the table, you're drawing the line. Um, it yep. depends a little bit on what you mean by drawing the line, um, but what most folks mean by drawing the line is you, uh, you're setting limits. You have an expectation, and you want to make right. sure that that expectation gets met. And the expectation that you mentioned was how you expect to be treated by your daughter. That's your expectation. Right. You are um, setting limits related to how you expect to be treated if you're doing plan A, Good chance when you're setting limits that way that you may actually be setting in motion challenging episodes, as we talked about earlier. Right. Um, yep. we're, not, we're not understanding what's getting in your daughter's way when we're doing plan A. But you are every bit as much setting limits when you're doing plan B because the same parental concern, in this case about how you want to be treated, that could lead you into plan A will also be addressed using plan B. Mm-hmm. But an interesting thing about drawing the line Let's say, and I have no idea, I'm completely talking off the cuff here because I don't know your situation well enough to speak with any authority or knowledge, but let's say your daughter does have uh, an irritability thing going on. Would drawing the line fix it? Let's say there's something about family dynamics. Of course, I have no idea. Um, Let's say there is a family dynamic in place that is making it so that plan B isn't working so well or that's fueling your daughter's irritability or something about just the way people interact with each other in your family uh, and may have interacted for a very long time, um, would drawing the line fix that? No. This is, this is the issue that I sometimes see, see with drawing the line. I don't see anything that I find getting in the way for a challenging kid that drawing the line fixes. So now I've been talking for a lot. You've been you've been patiently waiting while I uh, did my little thing here. What do you think? Yeah. Um, well, I'll respond to a couple of things. In terms of the house that we're getting, I will say that it's very consistent with what you talk about on your show, with what I've read in both your books, um, and what I've I've spoken to other practitioners of CPS. It's very consistent. Um, I'm sure it's probably not to the the level of expertise that you have, but it is very consistent. And in some sessions where we've had her and we've talked, let's say, for example, the unsolved problem of homework getting done, we had a very long session a couple of weeks ago about homework getting done. We got tons of her concerns on the table. Um, The teacher, you know, has a, a very kind of odd way of, her expectations are very odd, and she's very meticulous in terms of the way the numbers are written and so forth. This is algebra specifically. So we got a lot of concerns on the table. It, it was a very long, but, but towards the end, as you know, we, we put our concerns on the table, and this was done with the therapist. Towards the end, when we put our concerns on the table, um, you know, we, we understand that that really sounds kind of crappy, the way that she grades is very difficult and so forth. Uh, but our concern is that by not doing it at all, you're only hurting yourself. You know, so that was one of our concerns. And you know, so we got to asking, but like, like, to what? How much homework are you actually getting done? Because we really don't know. And she said, you know, maybe about 
half of it, if even that. And, um, you know, then the therapist jumped in and said, well, you know, it sounds like you're having a problem with the way she she grades, that maybe we can come up with some ideas as to how we can handle that. And he, and she went immediately into, when we, when we uh, what's it called, the invitation. When we got to the invitation part, she immediately went into, I don't care anymore. I don't care if I get a good grade, and I don't care about anything. So we were very discouraged at that point. We were like, okay, well, we got really far. We got a lot of the concerns on the table. We wanted to open it up to some ideas as to how we can address it. And she just went into the, I hate to say it, but like the teenage sort of I don't care anymore attitude. However. Well, well and I get, I, don't, I get I don't care from three- and four-year-olds who are in situations that they feel they can't do much about. So I'm, I, don't, yeah. I don't know if I'd call it an adolescent yeah. thing, but keep going. Right. So, so at first we were discouraged, but within the next few days, she actually did a lot more homework. We got a note from the teacher that she passed in all of her assignments and that, you know, so when we kind of thought we had failed, we really didn't, okay? So I'm, I'm not really, I, I, I love collaborative problem solving. I really think it's working. However, I'm wondering what the serious things, like you mentioned her, her mood and the irritability, the things that really need to be addressed where we can't get the cooperation that we need, in other words, getting her to teach someone to actually evaluate her for, you know, pharmacological need, whether it be, you know, um, uh, antidepressants or, you know, to, to, to find out if we can get something to help her manage her anger, her mood, and so forth, she won't go. She's, no, she's not going near it. And we'll try collaborative problem solving until we're blue in the face. It's not happening. So at what point do we say, okay, well, this is sort of a non-negotiable. You're, you really need to do this. I mean, because to me, I feel like this, and it would be the same thing as if I found that my daughter was on drugs. Um, you know, I would always, I think we kind of fall into that non-negotiable where I kind of have to use plan A and get her some help. So that's kind of what I'm asking. The, the hitting and stuff, that's part of the same category. Like, you know, I know that we want to use, but we want to use Plan B. But where is the point where you go? Okay, well, you just can't come up to people and hit them and kick them and be, be a bully, you know. So I know that this is you're in a bad mood. I can't figure out why and whatever. I mean, there's only so much escaping you can do in your own home before you say, well, you got to. This is a real serious problem. We got to address. And if you're not going to address it um, by collaboratively working it out and figuring out how we do it, then we're just going to have to impose the will and, and bring her to a, a therapist or a, a program that can treat what's on the line here because we don't know what's going on. Do you understand well, what I'm saying? Well, I, I do. Um, you know, um, those options, you know, it would be interesting to get a sense from your clinician about how he or she thinks things are going, um, the speed that he or she expected things to go and where he or she believes that you all are in the process and how optimistic he or she is that um, collaborative problem solving without any other form of intervention is going to get the job done, your clinician um, may have some sense 
of, you know, collaborative problem solving can take some time. Um, reversing old patterns of interactions. Um, you know, it sounds like we have an emailer who's emailing and responding to what you're saying and simply just saying, you know, problems didn't just appear overnight. Sending her back to public school wouldn't necessarily fix all the problems immediately. Uh, CPS takes time. This is from the email. We can't <laughs> afford not to take the time, but it's baby steps too, sometimes a few steps back and then a step forward. So good good point from one of our emailers. But I guess my question is I wonder what your clinician thinks about where you all are in the process and at what point your clinician, once again, I'm lacking so much information that it's hard for me to give you a real clear sense of where I think you're at just because I'm lacking so much info. So all I can really do is talk generically. Um, Is there a point at which you've, uh, by the way, um, you know, doing plan A on psychopharmacology uh, sounds interesting conceptually. I must say that plan A, when we are doing pharmacology, if a child isn't willing to participate in that form of treatment, then sort of interesting to think about how what plan A would look like in terms of getting meds into the child. That's right, right. The compliance going to be interesting. Be a whole other, yeah. Right. Oh, so, I mean, right. And so, you know, it's sort of like maybe you could do plan A to get her to go see somebody, but if somebody wanted to prescribe something and your daughter still wasn't um, on board for that intervention, then um, I'm not sure that plan A is going to get you very far in that department. Ultimately, if your question is, at some point, do we have our daughter go into some sort of facility where, you know, um, are there facilities out there where kids get placed in when all else fails? And, of course, the answer is yes. And do a lot of those facilities utilize Plan A? Yes. Are an increasing number of them utilizing Plan B? Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. What type of facility would I recommend to somebody who is um, thinking of placing their child in one of those facilities? I'd recommend a facility that is primarily doing Plan B. There's still far more Plan A facilities out there than Plan B facilities out there. But I guess the ultimate call on whether um, you're at that point or not, uh, I can't make that call because I'm lacking too much information, but it would be something to ask your clinician related to where he or she thinks you are in the process and uh, what his or her prediction is to the degree that they can make this kind of a prediction for what he or she thinks things are going to look like down the road and how quickly. So that's unfortunately lacking the amount of information that I'm lacking. That's probably as far as I can take you. Okay. And I, I appreciate that. I, I will say that she, our clinician does feel as though it might be a bit early to pull the plug. And I don't think I would ever pull the, the plug on uh, trying to problem solve with my child or with anyone. I think it's a great way of, of handling problems, and I don't think I'd ever pull the plug. I guess my, my question would be more along the lines of, are there certain things where I'd love to try to problem solve about the homework and about curfew and about all these other things that are, are pro- unsolved problems, but where's the line where you say, okay, well, this is one where She's not participating in collaborative problem solving, but we can't just let this go anymore. That's kind of what I was getting at. And I understand what you're saying. It all depends on what just not not just letting it go anymore looks like. Because 
you know, I've had just way too much experience with the mess we make sometimes when we, quote-unquote, draw the line, don't just let it go. I find that those interventions uh, often make things worse. Um, and so, you know, look before you leap, I guess, would be my big piece of advice. But luckily, you have a clinician that you're working with. Hopefully, he or she can be um, a guidance to you along these lines as well. So I, I thank okay. you for calling in. Keep us posted. Thank you. You bet. Let's turn to another email. We don't have another call today. Let's see if we can get another email in. Um, here's one. I think I can get two more in before the end of the program. Do, do you feel that neuropsychological testing would help when you think you have an explosive child, and do you believe that a child psychologist would be able to help the child? Well, I've never seen neuropsychological testing hurt. I've actually heard some neuropsychologists say, shouldn't everybody have a neuropsychological evaluation? You know, good to know what your cognitive strengths and weaknesses are, whether you're behaviorally challenging or not. The big question, I think, is um, how far will the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems take you? Because the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems has a list of lagging skills on it, and if you're not familiar with it, just go to the Lives in the Balance website, go to the paperwork section, and you'll find the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. And all of those skills on the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems are neuropsychological in their origin. They're the types of skills that neuropsychologists assess for. It's just that the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems assesses those skills informally, and a neuropsychologist is going to assess those skills more formally. So the real question is, can the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems get you all the way there? Or do you need a more formal assessment to get better clarification of what's going on with a child and what's getting in the child's way? So I don't routinely recommend neuropsychological testing. Number one, it tends to be expensive. Number two, good neuropsychologists tend to have very long waiting lists. But can, neuropsychology, can neuropsychological testing add value? Absolutely. But it's not necessarily something that I recommend routinely at this point. Do I believe that a child psychologist would be able to help the child? Sure. Um, if you feel like you need help and are having difficulty doing it on your own, um, only you can make the call on that. Um, if you're having difficulty doing it on your own, implementing collaborative problem solving on your own, then you'd want to find a clinician who um, is familiar with the model, or better yet, and this is only about a, six weeks away now, is certified in the model. Pretty soon there will be a list of certified clinicians on a different website, the website of CPS Connection. That's cpsconnection.com. Um, in about six weeks, the first group of people certified to implement collaborative problem solving will be posted on the CPS Connection website. Um, the big question there is, how much help do you need? Can you do it on your own? That's the big question. But sure, um, a child psychologist may be able to help you view the child through different lenses, give you some strategies, help you implement Plan B. Sounds good to me, if you need it. Here's another. 
Uh, your books definitely resonate as being very much about my son, who is six and have, has several diagnoses, including ADHD. We've been trying to implement Plan B, but my question is how to implement it when many of his problems stem from massive impulsivity. So when you ask the what's up, his answer is often, I just can't help myself. And when you talk about solutions, he has no ideas beyond timeouts and locking him in his room so he can't do the things. Example is today. We went to an indoor pool and when it was 40 degrees out. When he was getting dressed afterwards, he deliberately soaked his three-year-old brother's pants because he felt like it and thought it was funny. When discussing these kinds of incidents, he understands that it is wrong and wants not to do it, but can't seem to stop himself. Any suggestions on how to apply Plan B here? Great question. And poor impulse control is a tricky one because it feels like the um, actions are unpredictable. You know, that's the definition of impulsiveness, right? The individual failed to consider the consequences of their actions before they acted. It feels like we can't predict them. And yet, what I have found in many impulsive kids is that their poor impulse control is more predictable than it might seem. Now, by the way, I don't know why I don't want to make any assumptions about why your child um, has no ideas beyond timeouts and locking him in his room so he can't do the things. I have some hypotheses, but I don't know if they're accurate or not. But that may be his experience so far. He's just relying on history to tell, to give him some ideas for solutions. And I don't. There are no solutions for poor impulse control generically. I don't. I don't know how we would work on poor impulse control in general, quite frankly, apart from sometimes medication. But so the real challenge with poor impulse control is to try to make the seemingly unpredictable predictable. Now, I don't know how predictable him soaking his brother's pants because he felt like it and thought it was funny. I don't know how predictable that was. Um, You'd be the better judge. But does that, even if that was unpredictable, does it give us any information that would help us make the next potentially unpredictable act, impulsive act, more predictable? That's the big question. Are there environments in which your uh, son is more apt to be impulsive than others? Like a I don't know, is he likely to be impulsive when he's watching TV? Or is he much more likely to be impulsive when he's around his younger brother? Hmm. And is there any way for us to start working on some of the unsolved problems that we've either seen come up or anticipate could come up before they come up that stem from poor impulse control? That's the challenge. And I'm not saying this is easy. But it is often possible to make these seemingly unpredictable, and this is true with lots of things, not just impulse control. How do we make these seemingly unpredictable more predictable, especially since we can't necessarily work on poor impulse control directly? Can we do a fine-grained analysis of when the impulsiveness is more apt to happen And can we ramp up our problem-solving efforts, our proactive problem-solving efforts, 
associated with those situations in particular. That's the challenge. It's not easy. Every challenging kid, but I hope that helps. Every child with social, emotional, and behavioral challenges has something about them that's making life less easy. I hope you're finding the guidance that you're getting on this program, generic though it might sometimes be, to be helpful. And I hope you'll listen in next week for our parents' panel. Until then, have a good week.